Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Hello and welcome to Movies versus Capitalism, an anti-capitalist movie podcast. I'm Rivka Rivera. And I am Frank Capello. And we are back. We are back. After two weeks away. Yes, both of us from our respective trips. How was yours? How was how was the rest of Pittsburgh? How did your how did your play workshop go? It was amazing. It was really amazing. I could talk way too long about it, but what I will say is it the coolest parts is it really sort of revolutionized a lot of how I think about making the practice of making theater. And that connects to, I think, what, what we talk about on this podcast for anti-capitalism, because one of the benefits was we didn't have a, uh, anything that we had to produce. And so that totally, just that one small thing of saying, like, the resources are here for you to do with what you want, and there was no dictation on what that meant or had to look like, mm. it, it actually allowed for us to have more um, abundance and creation and product it was just one of those, like, we talk about it in theory, but in practice, it's true. It works. It's great. It's awesome. So there was a lot more there, but I'll leave it at that because we have so many things that we want to catch up on and talk about. How was your European excursion? Uh, it was so lovely. I was very, very lucky to have the privilege to get to travel uh, abroad to Europe. My partner and I spent a few days in Barcelona and then in Copenhagen, both cities, Gorgeous. Um, mm. Europe, very nice, it turns out. <laughs> Barcelona, we went to uh, La Casa Mila, the Gaudi house, and it was just absolutely stunning. And then in Copenhagen, we went to the Design Museum, um, both instances where I was like, how do people conceptualize this kind of beauty in their head, this kind of art, <laughs> this kind of design? This It's truly, I'm just like... I have many different types of creative tendencies. Visual art is not one of them. Like so I so I'm always blown away when I see shit like that. I'm just like that's fucking incredible. <laughs> um and then also just like Europe, like the trains run on time. Uh the all of the infrastructure oh. all the infrastructure is good and new. We met these uh English folks uh in Barcelona and they were like, "Yeah, you guys are having a bit of a bit of a trouble over there right now, aren't you? Things things are getting pretty <laughs> Pretty dicey for y'all, right? What's, what's going on just politically? Yeah, um, okay, accent. Well, you know, we went to acting school. I mean, I know, but it's good. Thank you, thank you. Um, so it was great. It was so much fun, Glad, but glad to be back. Yeah, well, a lot happened that we were we were like, save it for the pod. And we also will we'll probably get back to some of these topics. But like, I feel like big things that that have happened since we have spoken so one of those things that happened was the Directors Guild of America, right? That's what the A is for. Yeah, the DGA. <laughs> the always DGA. A, always America. Of America. <laughs> um, <laughs> made a deal. With the AMPTP, with the studios and the, the networks. Yeah, which people are not very happy about. Um, we'll come back to this, but essentially it felt a little bit like the sense that I'm getting without having done much prep other than like, I want to talk to Frank about this, is that they it was a bit kind of backstabby, like a little bit like they called it historic, but it doesn't sound like the con the deal they got is really going to benefit like it's going to benefit probably the 1% of directors. And I know a lot of uh, WGA members were upset just because this was the DGA's chance to stand in solidarity and turn that. down a deal and you know use use the use that leverage to try to help 
their sister guilds of the uh, WGA and SAG-AFTRA, which has uh, voted uh, to authorize a, a strike if they don't cut a deal. So, But I know the DGA deal has not been ratified by its members. There's still some questions about whether its rank and file will actually ratify it uh, if they're happy with it. Um, it definitely uh, weakens the leverage of the WGA if... If, if the DGA ends up accepting that deal. Here's some, something I want to put out to people, because I think, you know, while while our unions are on strike and they have to be and they should be in solidarity. I, I mean, this is a moment where I'm just like, I think what's got, it's really like they're going to pay attention to the consumer. And I'm super, I'm just like very curious. Are we ever going to have that moment where like, OK, everyone stop paying for your Netflix, like subscriptions down? Maybe. I mean, that's what organizing is for. Yeah. You know, I heard like Ralph Nader say this once on an interview that you don't need everybody organized. You just need like 3% of the people. I think he's, I think he, that was the actual number he ascribed to it. So even if, you know, if, even if some campaign was put together to, you know, cut the new media cords, so mm -hmm. to speak, and it would only require, I don't know, few tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. of That's like a big chunk of change for some of those streamers. Absolutely. Okay, we'll we'll come back to that because that's a big one. Another big one, Dr. Cornell West is running for president. That you happened since spoke this into existence. You I like nah, I, don't... I mean, I don't I now I'm like, I don't know if I want any of that <laughs> credit. <laughs> I did I did say it was like on my is what is I'm terrible at sports things, MVP or like wish list. What is you know what I'm saying? No, I don't. I don't watch sports. This is okay. <laughs> well, this is embarrassing for everyone involved. My most valuable player. I don't know, but and now and now that it's actually happening, I I'm. It's that thing that happens when someone really runs for president. You're like, now I really have to look, and mm. it's a little scary. Like it's just scary to be like, now we really have to look, and you know, no one. I, I have I have a good. We have a mutual friend who always reminds me of this, of just like, you know, no, no no person can be your hero. And I think it's true. Like, we put people on pedestals and they will come down and people are people. And I don't know. I, I, I have many feelings about the People's Party, which, again, probably is a longer conversation for us. But sure. there's a lot of complexity there. But I did want to highlight that as a, another big thing that happened. I, look, I'm excited. Uh, I, I was excited when Marianne announced. I was very excited when Cornell announced. Do I have my thoughts about each of them as a candidate? Do I think they're perfect? No, obviously not. Um, I'm just glad that literally anyone is going to primary Joe Biden, even if it, you know, we'll we'll see where the campaigns go and how effective they end up being. But Joe Biden ain't it. That's not happening. Yeah. And so the last thing we wanted to talk about real fast before we get to our conversation today um, we received some feedback from a listener a few weeks ago. Someone uh, was very kind enough and vulnerable enough to write in uh, with their honest feelings uh, that we had been uh, using a word kind of flippantly that was triggering for them. The word was psychotic, something that we have said a few times on this podcast. And it was really generous of this listener to share uh, their experience with us and let us know that, you know, psychosis is like a very real mental uh, affliction and people that suffer from that could, in fact, feel triggered by a flippant use of that word. And I we wrote back and we were very, very appreciative. And uh, yeah, we just wanted to address it here on the podcast because I feel like this is very much in conversation with what we talk about with, you know, yeah. learning new information, 
um, getting checked when you need to and speaking learning in draft, speaking right? in draft. Yeah. And, and learning I think this to, is a great example of that. And then learning to learn to practice things in a different way. Yeah, I think generous is the is a great word for it and and to get an opportunity to learn about the language that we choose to use, which is why I love the idea of speaking in draft, because the point of language is to communicate and the point of language is to have an impact on other people. And I think often we can forget that we can be flexible in the words that we use, that we almost, I think about this a lot because sometimes you, you start using language and it's almost a way that you identify. So when you get too connected or too attached to certain words or ways of using words, it can feel like oh, you're asking me to change who I am. Like, why should I care about how that's impacting you? And we always have to remember, like, it's about, it's not, it's not a solo thing. Like the reason we speak is to connect with one another. And so it's, always so valuable to learn more about the impact of the words that we use, even if that's we're choosing to use them in one way and they have a different impact. And especially with a word like psychotic, which I think um, what I learned through what this uh, listener was sharing with us is the idea of a stigma around these kind of words. And I think a lot of words and especially in like the films we watch and this comes up a lot as a theme, like recognizing that like we have so many blind spots to yeah. how the like words and humor and ideas are used and it's so easy to be like, well, I don't see that. So I don't give a fuck, you know, like that doesn't that's not a thing. And once you I think like truly when someone explains something and if you really take it in and you really listen to it, how could it not change how you would want to use that word? It doesn't mean you won't make a mistake and use it again. But certainly and I have I've certainly said psychotic and then been like, oh, I learned this new thing. I actually want to choose a different word here. And then you mm. also get the exciting thing of like getting to choose different words. And I just think it's all all around like a creative, useful thing. But but to speak more to what that stigma was, because I did learn a lot. It's that for for people who are like living with the real, real experience of psychosis, um, which can be terribly scary and really difficult and hard for the people who have to go through it, who have family members that go through it. When the use when the word is used to describe someone who's very evil, which is kind of how we've been using it, it was like an exaggerated tense of like this evil character is psychotic for doing this thing. Mm -hmm. You're misappropriating that word and therefore creating more of a stigma that people who suffer from some kind of psychosis are in fact themselves evil and crazy and insane and nuts. And that, even though it might seem like a small thing in repetition and culturally, can create actual real world harm as we see like in the world today where how we treat people with mental health is so um, violent and there's real world consequences. So I think that's really important that it can maybe seem small, but like the impact actually can be massive. And so words really, really matter. And, you know, when you get checked about these kinds of things about, you know, the language that you use there is that moment of discomfort. There's that moment of, you know, guilt or shame or you just you feel badly. You're like, oh, man, I shit. I ah, fuck. I'm sorry. I, I hurt someone. And that's important. It is important to feel those feelings because I think there, we see so many people. I think the people that don't want to change their language and people that are like, I don't fucking care. That's not my problem. Those are people who are so uncomfortable with feeling even an ounce of guilt or taking responsibility for like any harm that they have caused like that they're so afraid of 
feeling that responsibility that they just completely block it out and are like, not my fucking problem. So, And I think it's a fear of that responsibility. I also think it is like a truly like when you're so identified with anything that it is you, even if it's like a belief, you know, you're like that belief is me. So I'm not willing to change it because then you're asking me, mm. which, yeah. But like, you know, I don't know. That's my kind of also trauma informed. We could go on sure. and on. But we could go on. It's also June. It's Pride Month. We're celebrating Pride. And we're really excited that we are going to be talking about The Matrix, which is a beloved film for all of us, but particularly in the queer community and the trans community. And we have a great guest today. But first, we want to let you know that this podcast is produced by the two of us. Yes, we perform all of the necessary labor to make this show happen. And as we are trying to practice our anti-capitalist values, we don't sell ads on this show. Instead, we rely completely on community support to keep the show going. So if you're able to support us, please consider subscribing to our Patreon. For just $5 a month, you get access to our entire back catalog of premium episodes, and you will be directly supporting this show. You could also leave us a one-time contribution in our tip jar, and you can find all of those links in the episode description in your podcast player or by going to mvcpod.com. You can also help us out for free by leaving a rating and review for this show on your podcast app. It takes two seconds, and it's super helpful in boosting the algorithm and getting this show in front of more people, and we really appreciate it. We're going to take a break, but we'll be right back with our conversation on The Matrix with Ren Mack. We have an amazing guest today. Ren Mack is joining us. Ren uses they, them pronouns as a performer, writer, filmmaker, and teacher specializing in surreal queer fantasy and futurism, and currently serves as the voice of the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency's Security Alerts. Wow, I didn't know that. That's so cool. I really we'll want to ask about that. Yeah, yeah. we'll get into that. <laughs> Ren was most recently seen in Houseworld's immersive production, Bottom of the Ocean, a New York Times critics pick. They are also an award-winning indie film producer, were recently published by Rutledge Press, and have taught at New York Film Academy, Trinity College, and workshops worldwide. They recently served as a guest lecturer at Columbia University. Welcome, Ren. It's so happy to have you here on Movies versus Capitalism. Thank you for having me. This is really a joy. This is um, fun for us to have you on because Ren and I met doing a radio production of Cyrano de Bergerac, and Ren played Cyrano and I played Roxanne. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> but just over it was just an audio production? Yeah, I adapted it um, uh, so that it would be... Uh, something because the play is really really long um and uh so i wanted to adapt it to something that uh was a bit more bite-sized but also um that you could understand the action auditorily orally um and uh so i was very lucky to work with um standby for places which is a podcast play um podcast and um and so i was i was able to um work with Rivka, um, who was absolutely incredible as Roxanne. Um, <laughs> Thank you. And we had a blast. We had an we had so much fun. That. Yeah, that sounds dope. I would love to listen to that. That makes that makes sense for Cyrano because Cyrano is such a lyrical uh, play. You know, like it's all about words. It's so I'd imagine it's it translates well to radio. Well, and it's fascinating because so much of it is about his appearance, right? Um, mm -hmm. And oh yeah, uh, but it's about his perceived appearance. Like the majority of the play is people telling him. No, 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 dude, you should just make the move like you're not that bad looking. She's into it. You know, she even hints a couple of times that she might be into it. 
Um, but he is the one saying, no, 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 I am a monster. It could never work. So I think there's something kind of fascinating about letting the audience imagine what that is. Oh, yeah. Um, mm. So having a trans reading on that was something that I wanted to explore. I love that. Please send me the link. I would love to listen. Ren, this is our first time meeting. I'm very, very impressed by your pedigree. Um, although I do want to ask specifically about being the voice of the U.S. Cybersecurity <laughs> and Infrastructure Security Agency <laughs> security alerts. I know. So much security. Very you, are you the voice of the U.S. security state? Is that what, is um, that what this is? <laughs> yeah, so I'm a Fed. Um, uh, <laughs> um, so this is through um, a company called N2K. Um, they are a podcasting company. Uh, they just merged with a company called the Cyberwire. So they do cybersecurity news. And so as a public service, um, they have taken – so they're called CISA. That's their acronym. And um, they've taken the CISA alerts and made them accept, um, accessible for uh, folks who would prefer to listen to it or just um, are visually impaired. Um, so these uh, these updates are basically um, the intersection of international espionage and hacking. Um <laughs> Okay. So the it's the tea is piping hot. When I receive these when I receive these notices, they're just wild. Um like uh for example, right before the um outbreak of the Ukrainian war, there was um an uptick in um what they call Russian state sponsored cyber actors, which is to say hackers paid by the Russian state who um were hacking into oil rigs that were American um but on foreign soil. Um and so in order to mess up production so that uh, we would be more dependent on Russian oil. Um, and so basically the alert was, hey, guys, this is happening. Please patch your shit. But it's an interesting job. So I uh, they send me these alerts and I turn them around in like uh, two, three hours. I love the visual of you like piping hot tea coming in. <laughs> like, and then like I just see you like with the with your own tea and you're just like like getting ready to just like literally and and trying to create the voice for it was so interesting because they wanted I'd worked with this company before on um uh commercials for their podcasts and like bumpers but I hadn't done um I hadn't done like something like this that was more like news oriented and so they kept like wanting me to be we kept like trying to figure out you know what the common language was for like okay they want me to be hard hitting they want it to be faster um and so I like happened to be watching Independence Day and <laughs> There was like a, you know, a character that had like two lines that was like briefing the president. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to do that. So I'm basically doing drag of the FBI person in a movie to be the voice of an FBI agency. <laughs> they were like, yeah, sure. great. That's it. That's exactly the sound. And I was like, oh, OK, wow. Like, all right, I guess it worked. Um, so that is that is a, a delightful thing that I do. Um, but it's a very interesting job. Well, Ren. Want to dive into this movie that you chose for us today because it is probably one of the best movies of all time, probably one of the best movies for this podcast. You chose The Matrix for us to watch, written and directed by Lana and Lily Wachowski, starring Keanu Reeves, Carrie Ann Moss, Lawrence Fishburne, Hugo Weaving, Joey Pants, Marcus Chong, and Gloria Foster. The budget was $63 million. It made $467 million worldwide and became a literal phenomenon. The story, if you haven't seen it in a while, uh, 
depicts a dystopian future in which humanity is unknowingly trapped inside the Matrix. Follows a computer programmer and hacker named Thomas Anderson, a.k.a. Neo, uh, played by Keanu Reeves, who meets a mysterious group led by Morpheus, Lawrence Fishburne, and Trinity, Carrie Ann Moss, who unplug Neo from the Matrix, a simulated reality created by artificially intelligent machines to distract humans while using their bodies as energy sources. And on top of that, Morpheus also tells Neo that he's the one, uh, a human prophesied to be all-powerful who will finally destroy the machines and free humanity. So that's the not-so-brief synopsis of The Matrix. Yeah, Matrix, ever heard of it? So this movie was (laughs) released... On March 31st, 1999, the year of the Bill Clinton impeachment trial, the same year that the Columbine High School school shooting took place in Littleton, Colorado, the same year of the 71st Academy Awards where Shakespeare in Love won Best Picture over Saving Private Ryan. This was also the first time the Dow Jones Industrial Average closes above the 10,000 mark. Larry Summers is sworn in as a new Secretary of the Treasury, and the world prepares for the Y2K bug to potentially bring down the global internet and telecommunication system. 1999. A real a real hinge point in American history. Just And seeing all of that laid out, that context, like... It's, uh, we'll get into... We can get into 1999, but it feels like the, the moment where, like... It's like things are good, right? Nope, they're starting. The, the cracks are starting to to show. We're starting to see like the decadence of neoliberalism is starting to actually uh, have real world effects. Um, but to start out the conversation, Ren, the first thing we do is ask our guests, "Why did you choose this movie for us to watch?" Um, because it's awesome. Like. <laughs> It's it's an awesome movie. Like, uh, I mean, also, I just want to go back and highlight also this was the peak of body glitter. I feel like that's important <laughs> to note. Like that was, you know, if you want to talk about the decadence, decadence of the neoliberal, you know, um, if that, <laughs> that peak, you know, just like smearing shiny shit all over your skin. You know, this movie is so incredible on so many levels it was such a game changer for how movies were made i think there were something like 20 movies that parodied the bullet time move that neo does after this like in in like the following two ish years i also i mean this was a very important movie for me i was you know i was i was a kid when this came out um this was like uh, like, oh, man, the nerds are finally taking over. Like, hell yes. You know, mm-hmm. um, I got a pleather, not real leather. I wasn't allowed to have leather, but I got a pleather uh, um, jacket, which actually got me into trouble. Um, I, uh, I I was called into the principal's office because this happened right after Columbine. Right. Um, so uh, so I got I had my cool leather jacket. And if you remember, the Columbine shooters um, were associated with this group on their campus called the Trenchcoat Mafia um, yeah. that may or may not be connected to matri- the Matrix or it was just sort of in the, you know, in the ether, the world. in the yeah. zeitgeist, yeah. in the zeitgeist of the time. And so I was called into the office. They were concerned that uh, I was plotting something. Oh, my oh, God. And uh, and my mother came down and just gave the principal the worst dressing down of her life and took me for ice cream. <laughs> but like Good. it was it was really uh, it was really a moment. It was really a moment. And it was really a moment in which any establishment figure felt extremely threatened, um, mm. which I find interesting. And I also find it very interesting that now, like 20, almost 25 years later, 
We now have the right appropriating terms like red pilling, right? This started with the men's right activism. Um, I think it's fascinating that they've taken this language and this movie that, you know, the creators themselves have said is a specifically anti-capitalist message, um, you know, uh, to be something that is so in support of capitalism, which is just like, you know, to me, um, endemic of what the right sees itself as right they've got like major main character syndrome like every cop has a punisher tattoo because they think they're the exception they're the superhero they don't see themselves as part of a larger system or machine they think other things are a machine right um there's other conspiracies but i think it's also been fascinating to see how you know as our culture has really become more gripped by conspiracy theories how the matrix has you know, really shaped in the pop culture conversation, those uh, quote unquote discoveries. It's also really trans. Yes. Yes. I want to get into all, I mean, everything you said, I'm like, yes, yes, yes. And particularly on this rewatch, because I too was, I guess we we were all children (laughs) when this came out. And yeah, just being 1999, right before this, like, that idea that Y2K was going to come and wipe out this system. And we, we had this like new system of the internet and what did it what did it mean um is interesting just compared to where we're at right now on the brink of ai and another moment in time of like what does this what does this all mean and what is this going to mean for us our system as human beings on this rewatch i just particularly in having been watching all these films through this lens it just struck me as how unique and how important this movie is that it the enemy is a system and that it's so rare to see that done so well and like what that means for the whole, for all the storytelling and it is interesting even in the the movies that have parodied it or try to pick up on this this is where they never really fully succeed because they always sort of like seem to go back to making the enemy but it's a a bad apple human being who is just like their motives as opposed to no, the system is bad, but it's not inherently like necessarily evil, which is what makes it scarier. Like the system in the Matrix in this is like these machines who just want to take, you know, to to take over. But there's not like a I want I'm like driven by particular greed or like some kind of particular like individualistic thing, which I think in every movie, like the function of that I'm learning is to distract from a system. And so you're fighting the wrong bad guy you're never fighting and this is like the whole time it's the system it's the system it's the system and sure there's like the agent character that like it comes through because you need someone to battle and do right. your, you need you the know. Narr- yeah it's two hour movie you've got to you've got to have, gotta have a way that. but they always remind shorthand. you yeah. that it's the system and they always and they're always going back to especially through morpheus in this first in this first movie which we're just going to really focus on the first movie because it's way too overwhelming to the whole universe but like yeah morpheus makes a point to constantly in talking to neo go back to this idea of it's the system and this is how it makes all the other players inside of the system dangerous there's actually a really great i want to get to your what you got from it frank but can we actually start by playing this clip from morpheus because i thought this was there's so many lines but this was a really interesting moment where morpheus is in the game with neo has sort of unveiled that the Matrix, you know, this is the programming that's going to help Neo understand the Matrix. Neo has already taken the red pill at this point. And this is part of Morpheus describing the system of the Matrix. 
The Matrix is a system, Neil. That system is our enemy. When you're inside, you look around, what do you see? Businessmen, teachers, lawyers, carpenters, the very minds of the people we are trying to save. But until we do, these people are still a part of that system, and that makes them our enemy. You have to understand, most of these people are not ready to be unplugged. And many of them are so inert, so hopelessly dependent on the system, that they will fight to protect it. Were you listening to me, Neo? Or were you looking at the woman in the red dress? <laughs> Look again. <laughs> Look again. Ka-chow. I mean, just stylish. I mean, the mm. soundtrack. The I mean, I think that's also what makes this movie so incredible is that it's, it's such a clear indictment of capitalism and it's sexy. It's mm. sexy. It's it so much sexy. fun. Like it's enjoyable. It's like it's so, and it's like a heart pounding action thriller. Like it just gets you going. Like it gets you excited about it. But I also love in this quote that they talk about that like when he lists off all those workers, that's all working class people. He doesn't say CEOs. No, and it's so interesting in that idea, right? Like I guess that's what I was like, wow, it's just like you can be good people stuck in the system and be part of the problem and be dangerous. Like he's getting yeah. this idea of and they actually they, you know, the camera pans to a police officer during that montage. It's like, yep. all the, but, you know, this idea of that, it just totally wipes away the capitalist narrative that you can have good capitalism and morally right capitalism. And the problem is the bad actors in a system, not the system. This is the antithetical to this completely. And at the very beginning of the movie, we have those cops chasing after Trinity, right? And like you have the agents that can make the jump after Trinity and then the cops can't. The working class being limited by what they perceive to be reality. Mm. What they perceive they can or cannot do within a system that like, oh, well, the boss man can do that, but I can't. Yeah, it's like they're they're not even able to conceive of like in this in this metaphor, they're not able to conceive of a different world. They're yeah. so they're so programmed, so conditioned. It's like, well, this is this is the only reality I know. Therefore, I must uh, behave and act within this reality. And not only that, but defend it, which is something you see regularly from working class people who defend capitalism, who it's it's that same. Yeah. Socialism is so evil, but I'm so tired all the time from my job where I have to work all the time and uh, and and I can't afford health care. And um, but let me tell you why socialism is evil. Exactly. That was my so this is I rewatched this movie probably once a year at the very least. Um, it is a perfect movie. I think I've said that before on this podcast, but I mean it for this movie more than any. This is a fucking perfect movie movie from top to bottom the filmmaking and we could we could talk about like the movie and like the cool things and like the storytelling that's been done a million times i'm more interested in having the conversation about like the anti-capitalism the whole red pill blue pill debate everything that is cropped up now from the cultural legacy of this movie mm -hmm. um but really i just want to start with like this is a perfect metaphor for not only anti-capitalism but like class consciousness specifically because that is sort of what is happening to people as they are getting woken up out of the matrix they are achieving class consciousness which is they're realizing they are part of a they are part of a larger system they are part of a larger class whose enemy is not one another but it is the ruling class in this case the machines um and i think it's so interesting that this movie has gotten so misinterpreted and so wrongly appropriated by the right um it's just like a little bit of context for anyone who's not 
terminally online all the time. The <laughs> the term red pill, which is what Morpheus gives Neo to wake him up out of the Matrix. He gives the choice between the red pill and the blue pill. Um, has been appropriated by the alt-right. And th this is from Urban Dictionary, meaning if you're red-pilled now, that means having become aware of the massive amount of leftist brainwashing and political pressure that is exerted in Western societies by social justice war warriors, third-way feminism, white knights, big companies, and mainstream media. So mm. ugh, it's, it's mm, disgusting. Delicious. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Which is, is so wild that this has gotten appropriated to this point because when you watch this movie, it is so obvious what the critique is about. Like Morpheus holds up a fucking battery at one point and is like, this is what they're using us for as energy sources. The metaphor could not be clearer. This is our, mm. this is our value. This is our surplus value that they are taking. And that is the part, that battery metaphor, that is the part that is always forgotten about by, I think, these right-wingers who want to believe that the red pill is them waking up from some sort of just bullshit, like their bullshit, like reality of oppression, whatever they think, like what I just laid out. I think it makes sense. I think it makes sense, honestly. Uh, you know, um, Andrea Dworkin in uh, Right Wing Women talks about why women move away from feminism. Um, why these right wing women approach feminism and go, you know what? No, I'm going to go to the right. And it is because they have they are looking at the same problems that left wing women and non-binary people and trans people are. They are seeing the problems that people of marginalized genders deal with. Right. Um, they are seeing that they are disproportionately underpaid, um, that they have to deal with uh, childcare most of the time, that they have to deal with um, uh, rape and murder at a higher rate, right? But their analysis of how to deal with it is to align themselves with these spheres of power mm -hmm. and call themselves thinking outside the box, right? Really, it's, it's all, it's like, you're so close. Like, you do mm -hmm. see the problem too. You see it. Your analysis is just very different than mine about how to approach the issue. So it does make yeah. sense in a way. They do recognize that they're the battery. They recognize that that's the problem. They just think it's George Soros's fault. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And I think yes. I think that 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 it's really frustrating when these ideas get co-opted. It really sucks. But it is a, it is uh, there is, I think, some kind of potential hope or recognition that you're like there is it's. The problem is the same. There is a moment of me. If we can just get back to that moment of mutuality, of shared experience, of understanding uh, where the but it's but like it's also trauma. Like, I really think it's like it's also just so much severe trauma and there's not enough of of that conversation. Um, I don't think in how we understand that the political moment, how we understand like when people are being waking up taking a red pill, making a decision to wreck, like how you deal with the reality that you wake up to, which is a very traumatic reality. It's not pretty. And it, it's like that to me is like the missing piece. And I think we we see this in the movie, like with Cypher, right? Who's sort of the Judas character who is the one who's like eventually, you know, uh, goes against the resistance and the rebellion and is like, I'm going to work with the Matrix because I just want a juicy, I get that the stake is made up, but you know what? Ignorance is bliss. And I don't want to remember anything. Put me back in and make me rich. And, you know, that is 
the part that is so scary that this film recognizes, um, but it's very understandable when, and you know, and I actually think in watching this, I was like, how could the rebellion have helped Cypher along better? Maybe where the film could have been better was like, because it would be easy to say that was like him as a human being and an individual. But like, that's a totally valid, honestly, like trauma response to the reality of like, it looked really it did, he's like this is not fun eating slop with y'all for nine years having to go with morpheus is like being like no it's neo neo's the one like i was like i'm kind of with you dude like this seems crazy mm. and he's pissed off and no one is they're not like they make a mistake as the rebellion to not actually support and work with that with each other like they continue to sort of silo this individual and i don't know i think there's a lesson there about like it's Trump, something about like Cypher's like trauma response to that reality and the choice to be like, fuck it. And there's something I guess that I'm getting to there where I, the, we need to be better about that reality recognition, you know? Well, he, he chooses personal comfort. He chooses personal gain. He chooses luxury. He just like, he doesn't want to be suffering in this world, which is a, a choice that a lot of people make. It's a, it's a lot of people in this world are like, yeah, I understand the system is shit and like, the machines are evil, but like, I don't have fucking time to like help out and make things better. In fact, I might like do things that just help me because it's like, I'm all I have to worry about. Well, and it's really interesting because later Agent Smith talks about how initially the first Matrix was a happy world in which there were no problems mm -hmm. and humans kept wanting to wake up from it. They didn't buy it. There needed to be even in the Matrix, there has to be misery. But I really I really love this point about uh, trauma. Um, and the right gets around that by like calling people snowflakes, right? So like, we're just not going to deal with it. Right. But right. I th there's a really useful concept in Maoism um, about reds, yellows and greens. Do you guys know about this? I don't. Mm. It's delightful. So the idea is that you've got greens who are people who agree with you, right? Like, the you know us on this podcast right now we all pretty much are in agreement we probably have you know we our politics pretty much align right um then you've got uh you know your yellows which are people who see the problems but they're not really sure if like i don't know revolution sounds like a lot you guys you know mm. um you know like you know god bless do you know pro, you know work in your own lane right um but like people who are not quite sure you know, we see this a lot with the trans issue right now where people are like, yes, trans people deserve rights, but like it seems like trans women in sports is kind of unfair. Right. And that's where you but like those are people you can have a conversation with. Right. Mm -hmm. Like reds are people you absolutely cannot have a conversation with. They will they will, are not willing to listen to logic. They're not open to ideas. They are so entrenched in their way of thinking that they will actually double down on things that they maybe intellectually know or patently untrue in order to bolster their worldview. So we see this in people who mm. like really support Trump. It's a cult like movement um, where it's this leader. I believe in this leader completely and i trust this leader completely and whatever they say goes even though i know it's not necessarily true and a lot of this doesn't hold up under like you know very light scrutiny no that's really fast that's so fascinating i was also just like my brain just automatically started doing the math of like categorizing everyone i know in red <laughs> yeah. yeah who are the yellows in my life uh, i yep. have a lot of yellows actually as i was thinking about it which i think is like you're saying a healthy thing it makes sense though that you 
the reds i'm like that is a trump that's a total trauma response it's survival because in right. because and it is what cypher is doing it's it's too painful it's too hard to let in any kind of paradox any kind of potential that i'm wrong because if i'm wrong about this what else could be wrong it's going down it's actually like and we as a society and as a culture have so little tools around mental health around um you know, just community and solidarity that can help people start to be critical of their world in a safe way. And I do think that in these conversations, like there is a level of safety you do need when you start to take the red pill, if you will, when you start to go down the rabbit hole, because it's going to be fucking wild when you start to unpack this stuff, but it doesn't have, it, it can be liberating. But I do think that's like that it, it makes total sense that this was co-opted and that it can go in a totally different direction. It's like it's why I'm so grateful. I uh, belong to a group called the Red Femmes, and um, we meet once a week and we talk about uh, some leftist reading, some theory. Um, but we have a ton of wine and we talk about our lives. <laughs> and um, I, I, uh, I resisted going for a really long time because I was like, I don't know about a circle jerk with a bunch of people who agree <laughs> with each other. Like, I, I, we should be in the streets doing shit. Like, why are we talking about it? <laughs> And what I discovered was that it was almost like a form of group therapy. Like mm. the, some of these things are so horrific and so difficult because what we specifically address is the intersection of Marxism and gender. And it is so difficult to approach a lot of the headlines that we see. And the horror of the things that happen to people who um, are of marginalized genders um, in the context of class war, that you need buddies. You need buddies to talk about this. I think oftentimes when we're talking about the Reds, who are ironically people who would call themselves red-pilled, they are very isolated. Mm -hmm. They're extremely Cypher. isolated. Yeah. Cypher, Cypher is very separate from the everybody else has a um, one other person that they're connected with on the ship. Right. Whether it is a real is a romantic relationship, um, a, uh, a, you know, sibling relationship. Yeah. Everybody's connected to somebody except for him. And he and he says he has a line about all I do is what he tells me to do, refer, referring to Morpheus. Morpheus is really the only person he can be connected with. And that's a person who is like a very remote leader. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there is I agree there is, um, you know, we've all seen these memes about, you know, uh, are you depressed or do you live under capitalism? Right. Um, it's not to say that depression doesn't exist. It absolutely does. Everybody should seek help for what they need. Um, but there is a lot in our environment that does not support our health, mental, physical, spiritual, emotional. And when you start to navigate how bad it really is, like my brother and I talk about this all the time, like he goes down these YouTube rabbit holes of just like, oh, man, it's really bad in America right now. And then we'll both be like, all right, OK, we're all both going to go for a walk. We're both just going to look at some trees and, you know, ground ourselves, you know, you know, the hot girl behavior of name five things you can see, you know, four things you can touch, <laughs> you know, um, because because we really do need those grounding techniques. You know, when we're thinking about these large collective 
things. I mean, something I know we said we weren't going to talk about the other movies, but just briefly. Oh, no, you I can. Love I was just more like me. Like the, <laughs> the later movies, what it what we discover is that Neo isn't the one. That there is no one. And this is actually based on um, or perhaps it's just uh, coincidental, but um, a Jewish concept. One of the theories about the Messiah returning to the planet is that what that the Messiah will return when we are all Messiah, which is to say we are all behaving as if we are the Messiah. Then the Messiah has returned because the Messiah is a movement. It is not a person. It is not one singular person who is going to return Ooh. to us and tell just us. Got chills. You oh. know, like this is Hampton stuff. This is Fred Hampton stuff. Like, you know, do not look for a leader. Do not look for a leader. The answer is with the people. Trust the people and they will become trustworthy. And mm. I love that that is the message of this series. You know, and that the robots actually join up with them. That's right. That, that there is I'm no enemy. That there is no enemy. Um, the enemy is a system. And even the things running the system can choose to not. One of the first lines in the movie is from a police officer saying, I'm just doing my job. Mm. You have a choice to avoid that. We have a choice to say no to that. It's a hard choice, but you can. Man, I had an I had an anecdote to add, but I like I don't want to now. I'm like, I just, like that was perfect. No, uh, that was good. That was yes. I was just gonna say, just in terms of like having having friends in in like dealing and working through these these the, the mental strains that this system creates. Uh, I was recently having a conversation with a family member. Um, full transparency, I was uh, dealing with like a pretty severe mental health issue earlier in this year i was telling my family member about this and you know i work in political media now so and there were, there were a number of like things that were happening in my life that were triggering this and i mentioned you know just like i was listing things and i was like this thing this thing this thing oh and i work in politics now which is also like kind of depressing and my family member who is someone who is not politically engaged who does not like to think about the system who only who is very much a cipher was like, oh yeah, yeah. That's exactly why I don't like think about any of this shit because you, because you, because you got sick once. That that's that's why I don't listen to this. Sh like I don't pay attention to politics. I don't read the news because this is what it does to you. And I knew that that's what I was gonna get from them. And I pushed back and I was like, well, there's a way to balance. There's a way to like. There's a way to uh, be actively engaged to know what's happening to stay informed, um, while also staying healthy and staying you know and taking care of yourself. But I think that is it's such a common instinct for people to just to acknowledge that there's a problem to understand that it's all very depressing very scary very overwhelming but then to make either the choice consciously or subconsciously i'm not going to engage with it because that's not going to be good for me and like rivka like what you're saying it's like when you actually go through doing that work and confronting all these things it is painful it is scary it can fuck with your head but like it is so necessary because like otherwise what you're just kind of like booping through life just like i don't think about those things i i buy house i go on vacation blah, and blah, blah, fewer blah, blah. and fewer people are gonna get to boop through life like that yeah like i'm so <laughs> there's fewer yeah. there's less yeah. and less booping as there's like, less and less booping these days you yeah. know and i think that's what it just continues to get to right it's like the fact that we we still reference it's so great that we have this movie to reference as like the Matrix being this simulated reality that really represents the control that like illusion holds over the masses 
And we're in the context of three multi-billionaires who are owning more wealth than the bottom half of Americans in society. And most people are living paycheck to paycheck. You know, more than half of our seniors are just trying to survive on an income of like nothing. And yet we are still trying to hold on to this illusion, like the booping by, but it's becoming harder and harder. You know, I think real like even it's becoming hard, like even within 2000 when this came, I mean, to think about the context of when this first came out and people were seeing it and maybe it was a lot more of a like easier. And now where we're at, the things you have to do to hold on to that illusion, I think, are a lot more drastic. But we also have things like the iPhone. We also have like things that make the illusion uh, like when I think about what are those things that make people feel like I'm kind of close to wealth it's credit card debt you know those are like the little actual manifestations of like people living on a credit card is the matrix i mean it really does you are get that's your battery life right you're like literally like making an exchange and more and more people are just living off of things you know things that are not theirs that are just like this is more energy i'm feeding into the matrix i am the battery or your iphone whatever it is so it's it's going to be more and more interesting as we're like more and more in the late stage capitalism, even closer to this film. I mean, you know, oh, yeah. I was very happy to be like, wow, the AI is here. It's in this movie. It was they were they they were talking about it. Yeah. And and Frank, I just I I'm so sorry that you were going through that and continue to go through that. I also thank you. I also have my own mental health struggles. I think that anybody who is approaching this work you know, mm-hmm. even if they're not, you know, um, it, it's it requires a certain amount of emotional intelligence and heart opening to do. And the folks who don't do that, like that relative, um, it is a kind of spiritual amputation. Um, you know, mm-hmm. all of the uh, you you have to live so numb and you have to you know that is that is the joy of this work it, that even though it's hard and even though it's painful that you're really you're living in the real world and you're actually feeling it and that is so brave that is so brave so cheers to you i mean i thank I, you and going back to you know uh the matrix at the very beginning they say wake up neo mm. right that's the first words we see on that screen and uh, everybody before they were allowed to read the script for this film, they had to read Simulacra and Simulacrum, and that's the book that he hides all of his uh, me- uh, all of his thumb drives in, and it's open to the page on nihilism. Ooh, and I love that. I love that that's where he is at the beginning. He is just dead inside. He's getting this dressing down from his boss while outside working class people are just squeegeeing the windows, but they are on a precipice. In that in that same sequence, you know, maybe five minutes later, he's out on the precipice and he goes, I can't do it. And he goes inside. Our hero chooses, 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 doesn't choose the adventure at first, mm-hmm. you, you know, and like, I want to say that to a lot of people who are listening to this and being like, I don't know, I'm on the fence. I'm a yellow. This this seems really hard to do. It is. It is. And it, it doesn't mean you're not brave or you don't have courage if you step away the first time or the second time or the third time, but that you keep staying open and you and you keep it open and you keep trying. That's bravery, even though you're scared. 
even though mm. you're going through major mental upheaval and spiritual upheaval and sometimes even physical upheaval, right? Because that shit manifests in your body. We all know it, right? Um, which I think is also an interesting theme in this movie of the Cartesian duality, the mind and the body. Totally. And also, well, let's get into, because um, I was really excited to talk about the the trans allegory in this film and also with, especially with you, Ren, and and also just, yeah, because I it was the first time, I know you had mentioned that it was the first time I really watched it with that in mind. And so it was really cool yeah. to see. Let's talk about Thomas Anderson versus Neo. Ah, yes. And like, and I mean, like, firstly, you know, um, the artist is dead and so are their intentions, right? So like, the Wachowskis made this movie and they didn't, they weren't out at the time, right? Mm -hmm even to themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and they have recently been quoted um, as saying, uh, we set out to make an action thriller and we got our transness all over it. You know, <laughs> so like it wasn't on purpose, right? But there is this idea, I mean, like it's set up from the very beginning, you know, from the very first interview with Agent Smith, where he says you live two lives. One of them is you work for a respectable software company. Respectability is very important to belonging to the matrix, right? And we see this intersectionally. We see this not just with transness, but with racism, um, you know, uh, with ableism. Everything is about respectability, right? Um, and polite society is always, you know, code for what is more in alignment with white supremacy and capitalism and fascism and what is less. Mm -hmm. um, but then he's like, so respectable software company. And then the hacker alias Neo, where you've committed, I think he said something like every possible crime. Every cyber crime we have a law for. Something like that. I have been like waiting that. for you to do that. I have been just waiting this whole time. Um, yeah. So there's, he has this duality. And a lot of this movie is about him trying to choose himself. There's uh they also like um that final scene where uh Trinity is kissing Neo or about to kiss Neo and it's like you know like please stay with me like the lighting is almost like it's almost like facial feminization surgery like mm. and Ooh. you know he is a very feminine action yeah. hero he's wearing heels he's got that swishy dress like uh um mm -hmm. uh trench coat he doesn't know what's going on most of the time like he's just known for saying whoa a lot you know like he's he's like freak he's like he and he's emotional like uh, this is this i mean like when you think about like um tank um and his brother um, dozer dozer they cry these are very muscly masculine dudes who are crying in 1999 like <laughs> yeah this is, you know, the, I, it really messes with gender. Switch was also supposed to be um, uh, a uh, trans character. Switch was going to be um, a man in the real world and then in the Matrix show up as a woman. And then they wound up casting it as somebody who was androgynous. Because, um, you know, uh, they said after editing from Warner Brothers, right? Mm. Um, yeah. Which... I understand in some ways. I don't know if the world was ready to understand what that meant. And it might have just been confusing to a lot of people who aren't familiar with the trans conversation. But there is really um, an idea of waking up. I think that, um, you know, a lot of this is uh, uh, Jules Joanne Gleason from Transgender Marxism. 
our experiences of transition often force us to confront the ways that much of what was presented to us as natural and inevitable are actually flexible and can shift more than people realize. And I think that's why we see so many trans people at the forefront of class war and at the forefront of this struggle because there just isn't an option. You know, um, a lot like certain characters in The Matrix were born outside of The Matrix. They didn't have the option to live in a dream world. Um, and that is that numbness that I was talking about before, too. I myself had that experience of it felt it felt the first time I did something gender affirming for myself and felt brave enough to go outside my house wearing it. I thought I was tripping. I mm -hmm. like I colors were brighter. I could see like every leaf on every tree. It felt like my whole chest was just opening up. My heart was opening. Uh, the best way I could describe it was um, it was like I had just stepped into and this feels like a set from the Matrix, a very bright room with the light source so close to the door and so large that I couldn't even see the shape of it yet. Wow. And I I was like, has everyone else been living like this this whole time? Huh? Everyone else has been feeling this good in their bodies and nobody told me? Like, you know, <laughs> it felt like it felt like my sense of reality had just broken. Wow. And yeah. and and that is there there is something about that. And I think this is any marginalized group, any group that has had to deal with because it's not just like oh like transness inherently you know makes us predisposed to revolution i don't think that's the case but like i just want to list off a couple of statistics that you know 30% of trans people live below the poverty line uh more than 10% of um trans people uh have been evicted for being trans um, the unemployment rate in the trans community is double uh, uh, the cis communities. Um, 44% of trans people who are working are underemployed. You know, uh, it healthcare is often inaccessible, unaffordable, and that is growing by the day. Um, as we just saw in Florida this last week, um, this is now 80% of trans adults cannot receive care. Um, it's not just kids and it's the majority of adults. You know, uh, trans people are disproportionately policed and imprisoned. This is materially, the system is not working for people who do not play into, who do, who choose not to play drag in the way that everybody else plays drag, right? And it is, so these things are, these things are tied together, right? This is why, you know, the constant refrain is like, our liberation is tied together. There is no way for all of us to rise. And you even see this like, in Stone Butch Blues, um, you know, uh, where uh, you have historical uh, references of like butch women, non-binary people, trans people who are the first to move towards unionization on factory floors because they are the ones who have the least to lose and are mm. often the ones who get stuck with the shittiest jobs, mm -hmm. you know? So th there is, it's not, you know, this magical thing that like oh trans people because they straddle the line between <laughs> genders that you know there there is an understanding that there must be a system beyond capitalism no it's because like literally we need to eat mm -mm. there is no you know it's the same reason there is no war about class war <laughs> and and especially in the context of 2023 uh, the trans community has now become 
the number one target of the American fascist movement because that is who they've chosen. It's for all the reasons you've laid out materially, the trans community is still suffering so much under capitalism is the is the, the has the least defense in terms of like any sort of structural or like legal protections. So it has become very easy for the fascist movement to choose the trans community as their target. So for all, for, it's, I'm just adding that on for, for all the other reasons why yes. you would see the trans community on the forefront of this class war. Yes. Well, and and this is also something that has been chosen because of uh, because of white supremacy. Right. And this is like how transness ties into white supremacy. These two things um, uh, are the or transphobia, I should say. You know, and this this is something that uh, I um, highly recommend uh, checking out um, Private Lives, which is I'm plugging another podcast right now that um, I guessed it on, um, where we talked about why Proud Boys were showing up to um, turf rallies, because it's like one of the Proud Boys main tenets is to venerate the housewife, right? They should be the last people you'd see at a feminist rally, but they're showing up to turf rallies. Because they understand it's not a fringe movement and they must they must be connecting more across these lines. And there's there's a connection with anti-Semitism, too. It feels more acceptable now. And this is like that slippery slope, right? First, they came for uh, black people. Right. Um, and attacked BLM protests. Right. Um, this was something that was, you know, the big hot topic. And now they've recognized that that's unpopular. And so they're switching their focus to what most of society would deem freaks. And this is the griddle tester. It's not going to stop with trans people. And it, in fact, didn't. This is exactly what happened in Weimar era Berlin. Um, and in Germany, um, was that trans people were targeted first, and then they connected trans people to Jews. They referred um, to Magnus Hirschfeld, who ran the sexual institute that protected so many trans people and helped so many trans people, as the most dangerous Jew in Germany. And Jesus. there was a connection made between trans people uh being sort of slippery and untrustworthy, like, like, oh, a trans woman in the bathroom, like, that's dangerous. Um, you know, like, there's, I can't trust, I can't trust this person. Um, I can't trust her, um, even though that's probably not how they gender her. Um, and the slippery untrustworthiness of Jews, they're not really from here, are they? You know, mm. um, they deal a lot with money. What is that? Um, and that is something that's popular in coming back. Uh, Helen Joyce, um, who is a, a famous transphobe, um, uh, has mentioned, and she writes for The Economist, she's on staff at The Economist, um, in her book uh, mentioned three Jewish billionaires as bankrolling trans activism. Uh, she doesn't mention Mackenzie Scott, formerly Bezos, uh, who, wow. may, who has donated a lot to Black, LGBTQ, and public health groups, but she uses phrases like, they have shaped the global agenda, um, but uh, characterizes them as rich white American males, even though one of the people that she lists is a trans woman, um, uh, Jennifer John Stryker, um, who is not Jewish. And she mentions, you know, everybody's favorite Je Jewish punching bag, George Soros. Um, so, you know, so there this is this is a deep connection between white supremacy, transness, anti-Semitism. And I think this is something I think it's a, an ideology thing. The right need an answer. They need it to be one thing or the other. 
um, there's a famous phrase about, you know, two Jews, three opinions, right? Um, we're really good, because <laughs> yeah, I'm Jewish, I'm, we're really good at holding um, contradiction. Yes. We're really good at holding contradiction. And this is also a thing with trans people, um, that the more you progress through your transition, the more you recognize that it's all dress up. And that, you know, as RuPaul says, you know, we're born naked and the rest is drag. There mm -hmm. is there is no duality. And I think that is also a beautiful message at the center of the matrix is that there is no spoon. You can bend the spoon, you can no bend spoon. yourself, but there is no spoon. That also implies that there is no self. Yeah, I've talked enough. Um <laughs> No, wow. No, it's it's beautiful. Really. Thank you for sharing all of this for real. This is um, yeah. yeah, my pleasure. My it's pleasure. beautiful. And I have to say, like, in the context of the things we've been taught, I felt myself like emotionally also like, wow, I need a walk after this conversation. Yeah. It's so amazing. Mm -hmm. But it is like for anyone listening and it, you know, and you're hearing this for the first some of these ideas for the first time. This is the this is the red pill that's hard to swallow, mm. but it it doesn't it's It's what's happening. And so knowing that like part of how we combat that is holding space for this paradox, holding self space for ourselves to also be gentle and like space for each other too. Yes. You know, this has been, this has been a hard week for me personally, for a lot of trans people, for yeah. people that love trans people. Um, there is um, an incredible uh, reporter. Um, her handle is Aaron in the morning. Um, highly recommend her stuff. Um, but she has a map of trans um, anti-trans legislation throughout the country and what is crazy is that from last year pretty much everything except for one in missouri has passed they did what they said they were going to do and this week they had to add a new category and that is do not travel it is no longer safe Jesus. for me to go to florida what bathroom would i go to i look most people would read me as potentially female. So I would go into that bathroom. If somebody decided that I did not belong in that bathroom, where do I go? Do I go to the men's room? Is that the right place for me? Do you think I would be safe in the men's room? Do I just sit and wait and have a UTI and wait for the family restroom? <laughs> like, you know, um, it is it is not safe. I risk arrest if I have to pee in the state of Florida. I just was there stopping over. Um, uh, I had a I had a layover in the airport and um, I did not feel comfortable in the bathroom. I got really weird looks. Nobody said anything, but I got really weird looks. And I'm not even, you know, I can I am uh, not somebody who passes as anything. You know, it is hard to watch the news. Um, it is hard to scroll through Instagram even. You know, it, it's really fucking hard right now. I got to take breaks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I need to nourish myself. I am, I am, you know, doing, I am pulling out everything in the book to take care of myself right now. Yeah. And this is a moment to come in and help these communities for our trans brothers and sisters. And, and if anything's yeah. like, that's kind of that solidarity piece, right? Of like, we're all, there's so much happening but the moments when you can, I think that's also one of the best things you can do for like your own humanity is when you can reach out and be in solidarity, not only in the on the front lines, but also for your friends and just in heart space. And this is on purpose. They're trying, they're throwing shit at us 
so fast and so hard to make us feel overwhelmed. They yeah. know what they're doing. And to allow yourself to succumb to despair. And I don't mean to lie down and cry about it and then get back up. I mean to succumb to despair, which is to say, be that relative that says, I just can't be politically involved. That is how they win. They make you numb yourself. They make you amputate yourself. It is so hard to keep feeling things. You have to take care of yourself. That means taking a break. That means no longer reading the news for a while. That's okay. Take the time you need because we need this is this is a marathon. And we need you. Not being political, that's political. That is a political everything everything is politics. And that's something And it is it is privilege. Well, big time privilege for sure. Yeah. The ability to ignore these things is is a is a privileged position. Of course, you're still in a lot of pain. You're in mm -hmm. a lot of pain, and I'm sure these things affect you too. But if they don't affect you to the point where it's threatening, like I said earlier, your livelihood, your housing, um, if it's just that it makes you feel bad, consider not numbing yourself as a gift to yourself. Mm. Even if you're not doing it for us, do it, do it for you. Don't let them kill your spirit like that. And conversely, I know we've talked a lot about the, and again, thank you for sharing. I'm sorry that this has been such a fucking hell week and year and everything. I'm sorry for all of us. We all have gender. We all have yeah. it. Sorry. But since we've been talking a lot about how, <laughs> how intense and uh, exhausting and upsetting this has this doing this work can be just also want to take a moment to mention that it also can be energizing and liberating joyful. and joyful and make you feel so much love and so much community um and like you're part of something greater than yourself i don't know i like at least that's that's something that i really get out of it is like the real collectivist feeling of like oh i'm i'm on team i'm on team humans i'm on team earth like i'm part of something like i want to be part of something bigger than just myself and that feels great and there's a lot of there's a lot of aspects of doing this work that can make you feel good so it's not all <laughs> they're definitely lows but it's not that's not it there's so much joy there's so yes. much joy i mean like i mean there's i was re-noticing in the matrix how like how many of the outfits how much of the costuming is like directly influenced by BDSM yeah. and like, and like rave culture, rave culture, you know, goth culture. Like there is so much joy in that. Um, there is, there is, um, you know, I was, um, I was just recently in Hungary, which is a very far right state. Um, it is a state in which um, trans people have been basically outlawed. And um, I was um, assisting on a uh, puppetry workshop, an object puppetry workshop. Um, and uh, one of the students um, uh, did a piece that was very gay. Um, and it was so brave. It brought me to tears. And it was so joyful. It was, mm -hmm. and it was so funny. Um, like it was, it was set to, um, uh, uh, my heart will go on. It was like, it was <laughs> so gay and so exuberant and like, um, and everybody in their feedback was talking about like, yes, and this experience is just so hard. And like, you were so brave to do this. And I was like, what I liked most about it is it was funny. Like mm -hmm. it was joyful. Cause this is, cause I'm not, I'm not on this earth to be unhappy. 
it is part of why I chose to come out because that is a thing I chose. I could have stayed in the closet. I could have hidden this away for the rest of my life. I could have been numb, but I chose joy. And even though this experience is hard, and I think the same can be said for choosing to be politically involved and choosing uh, to fight for a better world, the experience is largely one of joy. Otherwise, why are we doing this? Yeah. You know, and that's that's a thing we have to pick every day. Absolutely. And we get to do fun things like give out our anti-capitalist movie awards for The Matrix. Yay! Yes! <laughs> They're not doing that on the right. <laughs> before we before we do, actually, was there anything else that we want that we wanted to add? I mean, just that everyone looked so hot in this movie. And everyone's so wet. This is such so a wet. moist movie. Everyone is just like <laughs> slick. You know, like everyone is just like their hair is always wet. They're always a little bit damp. Everyone is so sexy and sweaty. Like, I love it. Yeah, that that kind of thing that even though you're not supposed to want to be in the human battery thing that he like crawls out of. Right. I did think I was like, that looks great for the skin. Like, I would like to get some of that goop. And that looks like, yeah, that's some like Korean skincare shit. Yeah, Yeah. I was like, I would like to be inside of that egg. Moist thing. I also just wanted to add, and I suppose this could have an award of its own, but just like a, just like a Keanu Reeves moment, just because, you know, a moment for him, a Mm -hmm. moment for Keanu, because like that we've, we've, there's just been so many revelations about like (laughs) horrid male actors from that period. And I am just really grateful. He's not one of them thus far as all we know, as far as we know, as far as we know, all that's come out is like, this is a lovely, generous, awesome guy. Yeah. Like, I mean, and, and so, so warm and so vulnerable in this performance too. Like he is just, apparently he had neck surgery right before shooting this. And like he Wild. was in training. That's why he doesn't kick that much. Oh. It was well, it was like his cervical spine fused or something. I would have to look oh. up. But like he had to have neck surgery. And he was and he was wanting to fight on the day. He was wanting to practice fighting on the days off. Like the dude just has a crazy work ethic. And remember that whole period where everyone was like, he can't act? Like he is giving us so much in this movie. Yeah. I'm here for all of all of. All of it. And I hope to see him on the street one day because I hear if you do, you'll have a lovely experience. Like he's just a good guy. All these stories about him just like, oh, yeah, the whole stunt team gets Rolexes, you know, like, you know, he just is like, God bless him. And he's been through so much personally. Apparently, he shows up on every almost every day of shooting on the John Wick movies, even the scenes that he's not in. He's just like, likes to be there. Just I want to hug him. Yeah. Even in the... Maybe in a platonic, in like a just <laughs> maybe in a worker solid, potentially in like a so, yeah, in, in a worker solidarity <laughs> way, yeah, yeah, really, really solid hug. <laughs> so it sounds like he's getting the awards. He's getting all. He's, of them. he's getting every single award. And I was going to say, I could talk, I could continue this conversation for several more hours with you. This has been so wonderful. <laughs> this is so I would fun. Lo- love to have you back to do another movie at some point. I would love this. I would love this. Thank you. But yeah, let's let's hand out these. Let's do the awards real fast. Um, so we have three awards. First one is called A Point with a View. This goes to the character with the best politics in the movie. Ooh, best politics. What a fascinating concept. I feel like it's the Oracle. 
I was going to say the Oracle yeah. as yeah. well. Yeah. 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 The Oracle's like, I don't know. What do you think it is? Like, what a brilliant character. I love the Oracle. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Smoking and cookies. Good politics. Smoking and cookies. And such a lovely performance from Gloria Foster. Mm-hmm. Like, so warm, so knowing. The tint of mysteriousness, like, I was really blown away by her in that scene. Um, and it's also, it, it was it's very sad because she passed away between the yeah. making of the first and the second one oh. and wasn't able to appear in the rest of the films. Yeah. And never condescending. Never no. condescending, yeah. even though she knows everything. Like, that is a hard line to walk. And speaking of joy, just has so much fun with yeah. with knowledge and power. Just like, oh, you don't know, you know, she likes you. Oh, you didn't know you're not so bright. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Don't worry about the face. Yeah. Have a cookie. <laughs> Have a cookie. Feel better. Our next word is despicable you. This goes to the character with the worst politics in the movie. Now, my instinct would be Agent Smith because he is the agent of the Matrix, but I don't think so. I think it's Cypher. I think it's Cypher. I think it's Cypher. I think Agent Smith actually has some very interesting politics. And he says, he has a whole speech about, I want to get out. And he's yeah. actually rebelling. And the, and the other guys come back in. The other agents come back in and are like, what were you doing? Mm-hmm. Like, he also is trying to escape. You know, Cypher's the one who wants to stay in. He's the only one in the entire movie who's like, I choose this. And Smith's, yeah, yeah. Smith's, Smith's little metaphor about how humans are the virus, like... Not a mammal. Yeah. It's, yeah, not a mammal. You're actually a virus. Like, it's a hyperbole, and, you know, humans aren't inherently the virus, but, like, he's describing humans in, like, within capitalism, basically. Nature is healing. We are the mm -hmm. virus. We are the virus. That little slogan during the pandemic. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it's, yeah, it goes to Cypher, I think. I guess, I guess it goes to Cypher. I don't know. This watch through, I just felt a lot for Cypher. I felt like, I felt like the movement let him down. I felt like Cypher could have been saved. But yes, but he starts as a red. He starts the movie as a red. Like he's already he's already self-isolated. He's he has a weird ass scene with Trinity when they're bringing him food. Like he has already, you know, yeah, for I, that scene with Trinity. I, you're, I'm if we're talking if we're talking about the unity of time of just within the movie. I don't think he's I don't think he's salvageable. I think there's maybe like fanfic we could write pre-movie, you yeah. know, in which he was salvageable. Sure. But like but he starts off, he's already got this plan in place. He's already decided. Yeah. I feel for him. Cause. I think I think that like, yes, we should always reach out to those who are isolated in our communities. This guy, I don't know. I don't know if we could have reached him. No, I forgot about the scene with Trinity. And yeah, he's such a creep. And he's, he's a creep. like yeah, yeah, he straddles her. Like me. Yeah, gross. he straddles okay. her when she's under. Yeah, mm-hmm. no. Sorry, Sif. Yeah, You're sorry, Sif. Just really quickly about this movie's structure. The the very very first thing you hear and see is the phone call between Cipher and Trinity. Right. When she's watching Neo, and he's like, "Oh, you better watch out," and there's something like that. And then after the agents uh, find her there, she escapes, and one of them says, "Like now we know that our source is real." Like, so they're already hinting at Cypher's betrayal in the first, like, the five first... minutes of the movie. And he says it's, something creepy uh, there, too. He's like, oh, you really like him. Mm, and she's mm-hmm. like, shut up. Great Joey Pants performance, too. God bless. My guy, Ralph yeah. Cifaretto, to pour it out to the real one. Yes. Um, and our last award is A Star is Scorned. This goes to the supporting character that this movie should actually be about. Tank. Tank, Yeah. <laughs> 
sorry. I'm sorry. I just, I, this is also, I, I have a crush on Tank. Um, I have a major, like. Very hot. So very hot. All clavicle acting. I mean, the clavicle is pristine. <laughs> I mean, just like, it's just so many feelings, so much joy, so much hope. Um, like nearly on the edge of tears all the time. Like mm. just a king. And Marcus Chong is very good in this movie. He's so Beautiful. charming. He's so chill. Like everything is just like chill. He's just like, I got this. I'm the dude who just like plugs everyone into the matrix. No big deal. Nearly gets killed, comes back, saves the fucking day. Like, and does not get like a crazy cut scene or, you know, like wild music. Like it's just very every man, actually. I'm also going with Tank because uh, Marcus Chong got cut out of the second and third film because what? he- yeah, because he asked for more money and they did. Oh, you, you haven't heard? Everyone is aghast right now. Yeah, you never heard the story. That's why Tank doesn't appear oh. in uh, Reloaded or Revolutions because wow. I looked up a little bit about this beforehand. He was offered 250K to appear in both of the sequels. So that would that would have been 125 apiece. He asked for 1 million total. And they were like, fuck off, you're not in the movies. Considering what they made, the stats you said yeah. at the beginning of wow. this, that's a drop in the ocean. It's nothing. Oh, my God. Hmm. Okay. Where was Keanu for this? <laughs> Why didn't he save everybody all the time? Yeah, Keanu. Keanu. My hug might be. <laughs> the story gets a little murky. He accuses, like, the Wachowskis and Keanu of, like, conspiring against him. And then they, uh, like, yeah. and, then, and then they do a thing where they're like, well, actually, he was volatile on set. Mm, so it's like a whole oh, very, it's a very yeah. messy kind Classic. of Artists, thing. Yeah. yeah. Messy Classic. Mess. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm going to give it to the child who says, there is no spoon. It is not the spoon that bends. It is only yourself. <laughs> I want like that. It's a that. good one. And also like what is like, I also want a, a, a movie just about the waiting room for the Oracle. Like yeah. to me, it was given audition vibes. It was giving very like. <laughs> very much. <laughs> very much. We're all auditioning to be the one. All, like I'm like, he I know. walks in and he, and he, but they're all showing off their superpowers for each other in the I know, waiting room. Saying, which la, I'm la, like, la, 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 <laughs> like, <laughs> I can bend a spoon. What can you do? Like. <laughs> Oh my god. Intense crowd. <laughs> wow. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. So like theater camp for the perspectives. That would be a great yeah. movie. Yeah, for Messiahs. Yeah. For Messiahs. Messiahs. <laughs> so we could keep going on and on and and we will. We'll have you back. But uh before we totally wrap up and we've you've already touched on this throughout our conversation, but we just we love to talk about what are some of the ways in in this real world, in this matrix, if you will, that you fight the good fight, that you get to live your anti-capitalist values in your day-to-day -day life. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, well, firstly, I post a lot. Um, <laughs> and that really helps because everybody already agrees with me. Um, I, I mean, the like, greens, I, the greens, the greens, but I do think, you know, um, you know, I've been surprised lately for a while. I was like, I had cut down on like the amount of political posting that I did or awareness or education posting that I was doing. And then it came to light that, uh, there are people in my life who needed that and were missing that. And, um, I, you know, I am also an educator. I'm, uh, you know, as we mentioned at the beginning, I'm a teacher. Uh, you know, I really, 
I believe that the form is the function, the way you teach something and the way you make art is how the art itself comes out. The rehearsal process tells you a lot about how the piece is going to be made. Um, and so, you know, I focus a lot on um, inclusivity practices um, um, in the classroom because these are not every acting student is going to grow up to be an actor, right? Um, like as in undergrad, you know, which is primarily what I teach. Some of them may wind up going on to be agents, to be casting directors, to being directors. These are people who are making decisions and learning how to fight oppression from the beginning in the classroom, I think is incredibly important. Um, uh, I also, you know, I do things like this. I talk to people a lot. Um, you know, uh, I have been surprised at how much my, just my visibility has done um, you know, for a long time, I thought, oh, this is something that, you know, uh, my, my transness is something that I, um, is just for me. It doesn't, other people don't need to know. I can just dress up at home or I can just do things that feel affirming at home, but nobody else really needs to know. And, um, I was stopped by a student, um, at pride, uh, st spotted on the street and they said, where were you? We needed you. We needed to see that it wasn't just like cis white gay guys that were mm. making it. And I realized that I had to have skin in the game. I couldn't just help people without helping myself. Um, so my, you know, this sounds kind of, you know, silly to say, you know, and maybe full of myself, but like my just being myself. And I wanted, I say that because I want other people to do it. The more you are just you, the more you give permission to other people to be liberated and get themselves liberated. Um, I also donate money, money. We mm -hmm. live in a capitalist society and money is very important. And I just want to plug um, one organization. I'm not associated with them. I just would love it if listeners would give. Um, this is the Southern Trans Youth Emergency Fund. It's being run by the Southern Equality Movement. Um, uh, this is making sure that uh, trans youth are supported in states where um, they are losing their health care. Um, and things are starting to happen, even in states where legislation hasn't passed yet. Um, this week in Austin, Texas, um, at a uh, children's hospital, they lost their, um, and I forgive me, I can't remember the name of it, um, but they lost their entire adolescent medicine wing. Um, it's not just their trans health wing. It was also, they were also dealing with bulimia. They were dealing with adolescent cancers. Um, the whole thing shut down in advance, in anticipation of legislation. So giving to local organizations not just hrc not just these you know national organizations they're great but like if you can give locally i also highly recommend mutual aid like go on gofundme and look up trans kids you will find so many people who need help um so many people who are not able to get coverage um and are trying to get their health care like so please you know, all you got to do is give up one coffee, five bucks, five yes. bucks. It Like it's again, collective. The collective is what makes it happen. Your individual actions is a part of a movement and it will make you feel so good. Those are all really, really great places to point people to. So thank you again for sharing that, for, for sharing everything today. Um, I know I have learned a lot and already feel a sense of community and solidarity with you, Ren. So thank you. And thank you for joining us. 
Ren, you're amazing. Where can you other people amazing. find you on the on the internet or otherwise? I mean, I guess actually don't tell them where they can find you otherwise. Just yeah, so. where you can yeah. find me otherwise, <laughs> like roaming the streets of Bushwick. Um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm usually like running around Chinatown or Bushwick, you know, with a sort of adult <laughs> expression on my face. Um, feel free to engage me in conversation. Um, uh, I may be like, wait, who are you? Um, I, uh, you can find me at um, ren.mac. That's ren is in the bird, W-R-E-N. Um on Instagram. Um, I am not on Twitter because fuck Twitter. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, so that's the best place you can find me. I like posting pictures of trash um, and other <laughs> things that have nothing to do with politics. Um, I just like weird objects and I take pictures of them and post them. Um, so if you want weird photo dumps and a break, um, I am here for you. Um, you can also find me at renmac.com. Um, and uh, you can uh, also check out the CISA CyberWire um, N2K <laughs> alerts, um, you know, if you really want to hear me talking very seriously about um, cybercrime. A lot of options. A lot of options. Ren, it was so great meeting you. Thank you again for joining us today. It's been an honor. Thank you for having me on. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and TikTok. And if you've been enjoying this show, please consider becoming a supporter. You can also find all of that info at NBCPod.com. For next week's movie, we will be watching the 1997 Nickelodeon original film, Good Burger. Thanks, everyone. Bye.